This is the Illinois. This is my time. This is our time. Grab that bull by the horns and own it, man. Today's your day. Let's go to work. Welcome to the Illinois podcast. The Illinois. Cutting through the noise of Illinois politics. Here's your host, Patrick Fingston. Well, hello there. Good afternoon. Welcome. It's a uh, beautiful Wednesday here in uh, uh, the Chicago suburbs and uh, six, what, 65 on a early November day. I'll take it. Uh, especially if you're uh, a candidate or a volunteer out knocking on doors today, it's surely a heck of a lot better than uh, than than being out and, and and about when it's 25 degrees and rainy or snowy or some of the terrible things we've seen in early November uh, here in, in in recent elections. So, uh, well, good afternoon, welcome to our weekly live stream and podcast. I'm Patrick Fingston. I write the Illinois uh, political newsletter. Uh, and uh, really uh, appreciate you you being here. If you if you don't get our our weekly newsletter, uh, you can sign up uh, now at uh, theillinois.com, i-l-l-i-n-o-i-z-e.com, uh, where we uh, we put uh, a big newsletter out every week on Tuesday, as well as a uh, uh, as well as stuff uh, each and every day. Uh, depending on whether you're a uh, paid subscriber or uh, you get the free stuff. So uh, we'd love to have you if you uh, if you don't already join us. We hope you will uh, subscribe and uh, be a part of our uh, our community. It's uh, growing by the day. Coming up, we'll uh, we'll talk to Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. He's been covering the J.B. Pritzker campaign uh, and, and has been covering the governor for the last four years and had some interesting insights uh, as to uh, what the governor's thinking, what he's doing, what is his plans for a second term may look like, uh, and, and maybe why we haven't been hearing so much about uh, those plans in a second term. Uh, and we'll begin uh, this afternoon with a conversation with Kathy Salvi, who is the Republican nominee for United States Senate in the state of Illinois. Uh, we uh, have invited incumbent uh, Senator Kath, uh, Tammy Duckworth to join us. Uh, over the last few weeks and have not uh, heard back from her camp yet. Uh, if she uh, does uh, want to do a sit down with us, we'll do a special live stream, special podcast for you and uh, make that happen before election day. So uh, lots to get to as we are six days away and counting down until election day. Uh, so uh, let's get to it, shall we? We are pleased now to be joined by Kathy Salvi. She's the Republican candidate for United States Senate. Uh, for the record, we've invited Tammy Duckworth to join us. She has yet to take us up on that offer. I'm we're what six days from election day, so time's running out if she wants to. But uh, we're here if she does. So, Kathy, thank you first for the time. Uh, we've seen polling from from my poll in in late August to the WGN poll last week that that this race seems to be closing. Is sure. is that what you're seeing? Sure, and I'm seeing it when I go door to door on the tra uh, train platforms and uh, at the early. Uh, polling places as well. Real clear politics has upgraded this race and it's in play. And I expect uh, we have the momentum. I expect to be elected with the, the good work of the fine people of Illinois. And my message is what resonates with people. If you're concerned about the direction of the economy, uh, what it costs for gas, what it costs for food and your utility bills, then Salvi's the answer. If you're concerned about the uptick in crime we've had, particularly over the last few years, 
then the answer is salvi. I received the unanimous endorsement of the Illinois Fraternal Order of Police and every endorsing police uh, agency, the Italian-American, Polish-American police, and the recently the Chicago Sh Sergeants Association have all gotten behind me. And why? Because Tammy Duckworth is soft on crime. There's no bill that has ever come before her to support the police that she's supported. In fact, she endorsed Mayor Lori Lightfoot for mayor of city of Chicago, said she was doing a good job after Lightfoot gutted the Chicago Police Department, $52 million. In addition to that, uh, uh, she uh, thinks that the Safety Act is okay and should be made federal law. Well, that's absolutely wrong for Illinois, it's wrong for Chicago, and it's certainly wrong for America. So her vote is 100% in line with uh, uh, Joe Biden, and I think this election will be a referendum on the Biden failed agenda. So this is why I believe I'll be elected. To be fair, I don't think I've heard her say that that ending cash bail should be made nationwide. I, 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 and if she has, feel free to to have your your staff send me that. But um, I, if you just, look, at, if you look at here, I've got the I've got the entire bill here right now. I'll show you. I've got. I've spoken enough on the safety bill. I have it here in, in, in uh, all 700 plus pages. It's a convoluted, confusing bill. And uh, I'm actually using it as a prop right now. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mess. It's a nightmare. You listen, I'm a former assistant public defender. And I think that it's bad law. It's bad policy. It'll open up the jails. It will, uh, victims of crimes will be in, in the hospital longer than those who committed them. It's just a, a bad piece of legislation. And when I examined Tammy Duckworth's vote record, for instance, she voted against funding for prosecutors to keep violent criminals behind bars prior to trial. And so that is a vote to defund law enforcement, to allow people who committed crimes to be uh, let out into the community. And I just think that that is bad policy. So insofar as what the Safety Act will do, it's a state law will go into effect in January. Expect that many of the jails across the state of Illinois will be emptied out from uh, you know, several crimes uh, that uh, are not listed as detainable offenses. And I think that this is just bad policy all along. And we're feeling the effects of it already in Cook County uh, because the, uh, the terms of the Safety Act have already been implemented and put into law by uh, or put into practice by Kim Fox and Lori Lightfoot. So I think that that's just another reason to vote for me for United States Senate. So in three words, why vote for Salvi for US Senate? Economy, crime, and education. Uh, and obviously we can have plenty of, I'm sure we could have a long conversation about cash bail and that sort of thing, but that's not, that's not on the table today because that's not a federal issue. So, um, I do want to talk about, and that's only one of the things that the 700 plus sure. uh, safety act covers. Sure. Um, on, on the issue of, you know, the, the financial disadvantage that you, you have in this campaign, uh, Tammy Duckworth has been on broadcast TV for weeks. Um, you guys have not been running TV ads. If it, you know, it, I don't have to tell you that the sign of a, a, a close race is one that's, uh, you know, just look at the airwaves in Pennsylvania and Ohio and Nevada and Arizona and, and see how uh, those races that are, are kind of listed as tier one. 
Uh, do you feel like you're at a disadvantage because of the, the financial challenges your campaign has had? Not at all. In fact, my message is the same as many of the other fine candidates in those states. And look at how much money they're pouring into it. For me to be within single digits of Tammy Duckworth at this point is a very positive sign for democracy and for our country. Listen, my message resonates with all people of goodwill, Republican, Democrat, uh, independents, open-minded Democrats are coming on board. Maybe they don't admit it, but they're whispering loud enough to those who know them to say, vote for Salvi, she's the change we need. And why? Because Tammy Duckworth has been pretty much absent in six years. Even Marianne Ahern said, what has she done? She couldn't think of one thing she's done in six years. And we're feeling that. Uh, she's pretty much a Washington insider. She answers to the far left of her party, which is not Illinois. And my message is a right down, right down the pipe. I'm a committed uh, attorney. I run a small business over three decades. I know what it's like to make a payroll. I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a fifth generation Illinois. And I love Illinois. And I want to see people stop uh, leaving Illinois businesses. I would love to give them incentives to stay here. And one recent example of this was just uh, the recent bid, uh, 40 states bid to receive the Intel project on the CHIPS Act and Ohio received the bid. Well, Illinois didn't even compete for it because it's hard to make a case that Illinois is a business friendly place. And if we don't have good paying jobs here, then we can't sustain our families and families and our young will go to other states. So I believe that uh, we can do a lot better. And the fact that we're the highest tax state in the nation, we're one of the most highly regulated, over-regulated states. We have a very uh, uptick in crime is, is, is demonstrable and you could feel it. Uh, ask anybody, do you feel safer in the last two years? And the answer is resoundingly no. And that's because of the bad policies and votes that Tammy Tuckworth has taken. So sure, she's spent a lot of her money that she's received from special interests on the airwaves, but all around the state, what I hear is, boy, I haven't seen her for six years. I've seen her more in the last two months than I've seen her the last six years. And we're feeling it here in Illinois. And that's why I'm running. So if anybody cares about the direction of the economy, uh, about the uptick in crime and, and putting a lid on that and supporting our law enforcement, and then parents, parents who deserve to be in the driver's seat of our kids' education. And that really, really hits home with me as a mom and a grandma. Then uh, you have to vote for Salvi. The, um, the big issue out there, and, and obviously Democrats have tried to make this uh, the, the centerpiece of, of their campaigns across the country is, is that of abortion. And, and you've been a, a I think it's safe to say a, a strong voice in in the pro-life community uh, over the years. Uh, what what is your position? Uh, and, and be straight with me because I, I think there were some people who 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 thought you may have been dodging some of the, some of these issues in in your WTTW debate. Be straight with me. What should the federal government be doing now, based on the Dobbs decision? The Dobbs decision put abortion into the hands of elected representatives in each state. And I think that was appropriate. You see, I am against a judicial activism. We shouldn't have our uh, uh, judges uh, making law on any issue that's outside the framework of the Constitution. And I believe that the judiciary, as well as the Congress, as well as the president should stay in their lane and each one of the uh, uh, branches of government should be a check and balance on the other. 
And as to abortion, there's only one person who's extreme on abortion, and that's Tammy Duckworth. She voted for and wants the law of the land to be up to nine month elective abortion, taxpayer funded. And this is absolutely unconscionable. And it's against the mainstream of not only Illinois voters, but also the nation. And so I think that uh, she should be held to account. And if you remember that debate, I asked her a question. I asked her, would you vote for any protection for the nine month fetus? And she looked at me like I had four eyes and she couldn't answer it. And I said, I'll take that as a no. I so, so should I take this then? If you think it's an issue for the states, are you a no on Lindsey Graham's 15 week bill? I am. I just said I think it's in the hands of the state's elected officials where it should be the, the elected representatives. And I think that was an appropriate. It's not a yes or no. I, I think it is a yes. It's a it's in the hands of the state. And as for the Lindsey Graham bill, it would not have been a bill that I sponsored. Um. In terms of inflation, you know, I, I think that it's it's I, I went to the grocery store this weekend and, you know, I, I came back and and said to my wife, it's like, boy, you can you can really feel it now, maybe even more than you could in the last couple of months. And you now, obviously, gas prices are ticking back up a little bit. Um, what should Congress, what should the federal government be doing to combat inflation? Um specifically because, you know, Jerome Powell has said that the Fed is going to essentially just keep kicking interest rates up until it throws us into a recession if if nobody does anything about it. So and nobody wants that. So so what should Congress be doing to to stem the tide on the inflation issue? Joe Biden has been writing into law from the Oval Office uh, policies which are reserved for Congress and Congress has been a do nothing Congress under the same party with Joe Biden. So the reason why I need to be elected is to hold Joe Biden accountable for the reckless decisions he's making and legislating from his desk in the Oval Office. Among them is the, the cut, the, when, they, when he wrote into law, or wrote with his pen, the uh, shutdown of the Keystone Pipeline, limited drilling of oil on federal lands, uh, stopped the liquefied natural gas that we have an abundant reserve in our country from being exported, he imperiled and made us energy dependent. This was a tragic consequence of his presidency and we've been feeling the pain ever since. We need to restore energy independence because energy drives our economy. Energy, look at your gas bill and your electric bill, that's energy. And we're all hurting because the way goods get to market is through uh, through the transportation system. And so one of the first orders of business is to put a check on Joe Biden and bring back policies. And I believe in all of the above energy program is what we need. We can't and don't have an economy that can rely only on renewable sources. 12 to 15% of our economy is driven by renewables. We need to have an all of the above energy uh, program. And the Congress has not done anything to change the um, executive orders that Joe Biden has signed. And one, this one of the things that that uh, I think the ag community would tell you, and, and full disclosure, I worked on these issues when I lived in Indiana for five years uh, and, and in recent years, uh, would be Duckworth's support of biofuels, uh, biodiesel, corn-based ethanol, et cetera. Um, are, are you on board with, with farmers in this state who, who 
uh, are looking for markets for for things like like ethanol and biodiesel? I have I have spoken to the Farm Bureau and I was in a forum with Tammy Duckworth and I said at the outset, why accept a crumbs from the Democrat table when you could get a four course meal from Salvi? Nobody is hurt more by energy prices being what they are than the farmer. And nobody knows better how to run their farm than the farmer. The men and women who farm are one fourth of our economy here in Illinois. And it has just, just been a tragic to see the, the policies that have been imposed on them. I had a farmer in Logan County say that he has paid an unbudgeted $25,000 on diesel fuel. And diesel fuel is in short supply. What we need to do is have an all of the above energy program, which would allow drilling for oil, clean coal, liquefied natural gas, in, in, and more nuclear, uh, 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 take an arsenal or nuclear power. You know, two years ago, we were a 40% nuclear energy exporter. Now we are a nuclear energy importer. And no more have we seen the, the cost of food and, and, and uh, uh, the prices than the oppression that we place on our farmers. Tammy Duckworth and I could not disagree more on this. While, while I will do everything to bring biofuels and, and continue to support renewables, we can't rely on it in, in our economy at this time. We have imperiled ourselves in our domestic economy and also in our international relations because of our absolutely insane energy policy. And I plan to make a difference in this. And Tammy Duckworth, she's a 100% vote of Joe Biden. She has done nothing, said nothing in order to change this. And I think that is poor leadership for Illinois. I think all of the above would imply uh, support for expanding wind and solar too. Um, Absolutely. I, I, and, and I think that there are people who, who feel like the left may be trying to move to making those primary when maybe we don't have the infrastructure for that yet. How should the federal government uh, incentivize uh, the growth of wind and solar? Because I, I don't think there's anyone that thinks cleaner, greener energy is a bad idea. It's just got to be, uh, it's just got to be cost effective, right? Well, I'd like to speak to a little bit. We are the Saudi Arabia of liquefied natural gas. Europe was accepting our liquefied natural gas as a primary source of their energy in the prior administration. But Joe Biden stopped this with the, with the signing of his pen. And he opened up the North, State, the North State 2 pipeline, which is Russian oil to Europe. What do you think it is that's filling up the coffers of Russia? But it's the sale of their oil to Europe. And you could, you could see how this all ties in. It's just bad policy. And Tammy Duckworth was right in line with that decision. Her votes and every single point have been in line with Joe Biden. And while Joe Biden can't be unelected in this election cycle, Tammy Duckworth can. And that's why I believe I'll be elected this November 8th. You mentioned Russia. Um, obviously, their, their presence in Ukraine, uh, if it isn't concerning, it should be. Uh, yes. and, and, and obviously the, the resolve of the Ukrainian people has been inspirational, if not impressive. Uh, clearly, the oil issue is one that, that is uh, notable, especially because European countries aren't willing to deal with any of the pain from shutting off that Russian oil. But, but specifically in terms of what sort of support the United States should be giving the Ukrainians, 
Um, there's been a movement among Republicans, whether it's it's those already in office or or those running for office, that that there should no longer be support for for Ukraine in their war against Russia. Where do you stand? I am squarely with the Ukrainian people, and there's no other acceptable uh, answer to that question other than Ukrainian victory. And I will tell you what's happened. Think about our foreign policy. The biggest blunder in, in my lifetime, I think, was the failed Afghanistan withdrawal. Every one of us watched that in August of 2021. It was heart-wrenching. After 20 years of working towards securing uh, a free and open society in Afghanistan, that blundered, botched uh, withdrawal imperiled us. And it sent a message to our enemies that we are weak, and have no resolve, and to our allies that we cannot be trusted and counted on. That is the, the, uh, uh, the uh, landmark uh, uh, tell of the uh, Biden administration. It set the stage for, for, uh, for his uh, presidency. And what has that caused? Think about November of 2021 when the Russians were amassing troops on the Ukrainian border. You could see what was about to happen. What did we do? Nothing. No heavy sanctions, no, no, uh, uh, no uh, discussions, no diplo diplomacy, it, it, crickets. And Tammy Duckworth sits on the Armed Service Committee and there was nothing from Tammy Duckworth. And then what happened in January? Biden signaled to Russia that a minor incursion into the Ukraine would be okay. Well, that was reckless. And yet then what happened in February, the invasion. We have been leading weakly and behind. There's no resolve from this president and there's mixed messaging. So what do we see? Unprincipled leadership from the United States, weakness from the United States. And, and ever since uh, the, the, that invasion, Biden has been leading from behind. I support and would have voted for the $40 billion uh, uh, monies to, the, to help the Ukrainians fight to secure their freedom. That was appropriate. But we have no oversight on those monies. We don't even know that they're directed to the correct purpose. And I would say before any additional monies, I would want to see that oversight. I would want to know that it's helping. And this is another thing the Biden administration did. They blocked fighter jets from our allied nations in Europe from going to the Ukraine. So while they, uh, while, while Biden, uh, uh, um, while we give the money and we should be giving the money to help the Ukrainian people fight this war and the Russian aggression, we need to back the freedom fighters. We also have to, to uh, allow them to have the, the Attackums missile system and the um, uh, uh, fighter jets. We shouldn't be blocking the assistance that NATO nations want to give the Ukraine and their freedom fight. So I believe that this uh, administration has stalemated success of the Ukrainian and they're dragging this war out. What we need is an America that is resolved to end this war uh, with, a, 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 with Ukraine winning and defeating Russia. And I think right now the policy is one of uh, uh, let's fight until the last Ukrainian is down. I mean, this is tragic and we need a strong America and Biden has not delivered that, uh, that type of leadership. Kathy, before we let you go, um, I, you know, I, I think I've, I've I've been pretty clear about why I broke away from from the Republican Party and and the, and the effect of Trumpism and, and what I it, it meant. You, to... you did break away, Patrick. Uh, 
That's surprising. Well, I, 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 I've said this publicly. I'll say it again that you know, after working a congressional primary in 2020 and 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 seeing the way that the party had moved, that I, uh, that's why I stepped away from working in, in politics. And well, and, I want to give you a reason to come back. I want you to vote for me, Patrick. I'm, I'm here to tell the truth, no, no matter the party. But, 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 I think we need to talk about the effect of Trumpism on the Republican Party. Uh, this 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 state is a clear dynamic that you have. Um, obviously a liberal part of the state, you have a, a moderate, you know, suburban part of the state. And obviously there's, there's the downstate heavily, heavily Trump supported part of this. How does the Republican party with the way that politics are fractured with, with the way that, um, so many conventional Republicans have, have made their political futures all about what Donald Trump wants. How do you balance those things with one trying to appeal to moderates in in the state, and two trying to effectively navigate uh, a doing anything in the Senate as a Republican uh, if you were to win? You know, I'll go to an event in the morning, and somebody will ask me, "Kathy, where do you stand on Trump?" Because if you're with him, I can't vote for you. And later in the day, I'll go to an event, and somebody said, "Kathy, where do you stand on Trump?" Unless you're with them, I can't support you. So I say the same thing to everybody. I say, well, we could all agree that the departure of many of the policies from the prior administration have been a train wreck for America, and especially here in Illinois. We've got record inflation, high gas prices, well above the national ad average. We've got uh, people can't even afford the, uh, to budget their groceries or pay their utility bills. and Look at the property taxes. We are the number one highest tax state in the nation. And then you want to talk about crime? You talk about the defund the police movement? I said, and how about schools? 70% of our third graders can't even perform at a, a reading level or math level. We have a crisis in education. And so a departure from many of the policies have hurt us here in Illinois. So send my brand of leadership to the United States Senate. And then somebody, they push back sometime. And I say, listen, President Trump fills his shoes pretty well and send my brand of leadership because all people, Republican, Democrat, the reason why people are so apathetic is they don't, they feel as though they're not listened to. We've had it up to here. I've had it up to here with the rancor. Dammy Duckworth never votes for everything. I shouldn't say never, rarely votes for something that has an R next to it. Well, that's, that's no leadership. We've got two Democrat senators in the United States Senate. And I think it'll do a little good to have a common sense conservative Republican out there, somebody who's going to ask the right question and make sure that Illinois is well represented because certainly a balanced Congress, a balanced Senate will help us here in Illinois. We'll be able to drive and keep business that we have instead of businesses fleeing to other pastures. And so I think my brand of leadership is exactly what we need. Listen. Patrick, I've only been on the ballot eight months, but I am going to lead as I have lived. I'm a fifth generation Illinois and I love Illinois. I'm a common sense conservative. And that's why I have a united Republican party behind me. You'd be surprised maybe, but no, I've got people who are pro-Trump, anti-Trump and anywhere in between who are supporting my candidacy. In addition to that, independent voters are breaking my way as well because they want somebody who is not a divider and not divisive and a name caller, but somebody who will call people out on bad votes. And that's what I'm doing in my, my campaign. And it's resonating, people are hearing. Also, I'm positive. 
I'm not one of these people who's gonna slap something out there and be negative. No, let's stick to the issue. The reason Tammy Duckworth is negative is because she's trying to run away from her record, her record uh, you know, to force vax mandates or mask mandates or uh, her position on the border. She has never, she has rarely voted, I don't know. Her vote on the border, securing the border is reprehensible. And we have a fluid border with fentanyl coming across and killing our children and human trafficking. You know, in my professional life, I've helped two women escape human trafficking, one from Congo and one from Russia. So I know this and see it in my practice as an attorney. And what I plan to do is apply the same common sense I have through my entire professional career. And that is, if you get good information in, you'll have better results out. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely a voice that we desperately need here in Illinois. And that's why even open-minded Democrats, hopefully you, Patrick, are going to vote for me this November 8th. Well, I'm not a Democrat either, I'm, to be clear. I'm, I'm, well, I'm maybe, just me. You're, uh, an, but, you're an independent. You want uh, to be the person. And I am the person who can and, and turn, turn our great state and put it on the right path. Kathy Salvi, Republican candidate for United States Senate. Kathy, thanks so much for the time. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I think we're going to talk on the radio later this week, too. So I'm looking forward to doing website? it twice. Can I plug my website? Please do. Okay, it's kathysalvi.com. You could learn anything you want to know about me uh, on that website. And I also have ways to contact me. So I appreciate being on your uh, show today. And I'm going to ask everyone listening for their vote November 8th. Good luck over the final six days. Thanks, Kathy. All right, we're joined now by Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune, great political reporter there. He's been covering J.B. Pritzker uh, throughout the, the campaign and the governor's race. Uh, Dan wrote a really great uh, long piece uh, in the Tribune uh, last weekend. If you haven't seen it yet, go check it out on, on J.B. Pritzker, on his campaign thus far. Um, Dan, what would you, how would you best describe uh, the campaign that the governor has run in 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 this general election so far? Yeah, I think what struck me is that um, it's been a very sort of um, backward looking campaign, a very safe campaign talking about accomplishments in his first term um, and not so much, you know, the the big picture, think big kind of um, stuff that he was proposing as a, as a new candidate. And some of that, you know, is just the, the um, what happens when you're running as an incumbent versus when you're running as a, as a challenger, but I think it's also an indication that um, he's taking a really safe approach, not wanting to um, take too many risks or or give um, Darren Bailey or other opponents new things to try to to pick apart, but really focus on um, on his messaging and his um, you know honestly fairly lengthy list of of achievements from his his four years so far. When when he first announced that he was running for re-election, in, in those kind of interviews he did in the first couple of days afterward, he talked about things like free college, um, free preschool, uh, free childcare, those sort of things, universal preschool. Um, but we, we haven't heard anything about that essentially since then. Are, are these second term agenda things from Pritzker or are these kind of uh, that, that he doesn't specifically want to talk about right now or aren't polling well, or or where where has that gone? He does still bring up some of those things. For example, I sat down with him for about a half an hour in his uh, campaign office in the loop for the story. Um, and he did bring up, for example, the, the idea of making um, college tuition free 
uh, at you know public universities and colleges for students who are below the median income. Um, but that hasn't been something that he's been talking about on the campaign trail really at all. Um, you know, he's obviously somebody who has been involved in early childhood issues for a long time, even you know well before he became governor. And that's an issue that's that's near and dear to his heart. But he also hasn't made that um, you know a cornerstone of of his campaign. I would not be surprised if he's reelected in you know in January or February when he delivers the state of the state and budget speeches. If he if he puts those kind of items out there on the table, um, but you know he hasn't really had a, a forward looking here's what I want to do if you give me four more years, other than we're going to keep balancing the budget so we as can do we, things we want to do. As we see this race close a little bit, I mean, my poll in in August had it about 20, and, and now the WGN poll last week had it about nine. Uh, so so I think it's safe to say that it's it's closing. He kind of uh, admitted as much in his 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 speech the other day when I, I saw him in his planes. Um, are, are they... Is are he and his team regretting um, putting so much money into nominating Bailey in in the primary, or do they think that uh, it may be a worse situation if it were maybe a more moderate Republican? No, at least publicly, they're not they're not regretting that decision. I think that they would still believe that Bailey was you know among the easier of the candidates in the field for for him to go up against. Um, you know, if you look at the regional breakdown, even in the most recent WGN poll that had things pretty close, he's still, Pritzker is still leading by a pretty healthy margin in the suburbs where things are, are likely to be, you know, largely decided. Um, I think, you know, there is potential if it had been somebody, you know, more toward the middle, like Richard Irvin, for example, um, it could be a, a tighter race than it is now. Obviously, there's all sorts of different dynamics at play, and so you just never know how things might play and out. And a gazillion dollars from Ken Griffin that would have yes. come with it probably don't don't hurt. Um, let me ask about downstate specifically, because I, I think, you know, the numbers have shown that, that he's doing okay downstate, maybe better than I, even I would have expected. Um, I, I You know, even though I live in the suburbs now, I'm a downstater, so I, I, I you know, still lots of friends and family down there. And and there, there is a palpable anger about the governor downstate, um, whether it's over the the mask mandates or the COVID restrictions or the school closures or or business and restaurant shutdowns, et cetera. Um, how does the governor view his perception downstate? I mean, obviously he's a a billionaire guy from from you know the Gold Coast, so so he's you know he it's not his world. Does does he recognize that he has issues downstate? Does does he care that he has issues downstate? I think he does. I mean, you know, talking to people close to him and just having covered him for four years now, you get the sense that he is someone, um, you know, despite his enormous wealth and uh, that he's somebody who wants people to like him. He's an affable sort of person. Um, I think what he really tries to do when he goes downstate, particularly, you know, to Southern Illinois is just talk about the money that his administration um, and the General Assembly have invested in infrastructure in Southern Illinois. I followed him around on his uh, bus tour through Central and Southern Illinois for a couple of days back in August, and there was hardly a stretch of interstate highway in two days that I was following the bus that didn't have some sort of major construction project going on. Um, you know, he talks about things like the Walker's Bluff Casino in Williamson County, um, the money that the state is putting into reopening the Red Lake resort in Southern Illinois. Um, 
the Cairo Port project. So he really tries to, um, you know, I guess maybe not set aside completely, but downplay sort of the, the more divisive social issues where people maybe don't align with him in Southern Illinois um, and talk about the things that he, he argues that his administration is doing to try and improve the quality of life for residents of that part of the state. Uh, the the abortion issue has been core to his reelection campaign, um, which obviously was was designed as a way to excite the Democratic base, uh, get them to turn out. But but I've had more than one pollster tell me over the last few weeks that um, moderates, independents, those breaking toward the end here are are not abortion motivated. You know, abortions maybe the third or fourth issue on their list. Uh, is is there any sort of of looking back and saying maybe we should have been playing more to the middle? You know, I think their hope is still that uh, the issue will activate people who you know are more inclined to vote for Democrats, but maybe don't turn out for every election. Um, I think that. You know, you still see, I think it feels like every day I see uh, the governor's campaign Twitter account bring up the issue of abortion and that, you know, Illinois will will defend uh, women's rights. I, I don't think that they're running away from that issue. Um, I do think that they probably have spent a lot more time in the past couple of months talking about crime and the Safety Act than they would have liked um, that issue really has sucked up so much oxygen in the race but also you know if the most recent wgm poll is to be believed also isn't top of crime isn't the top, top of the issue yeah yeah um yeah and so the economy you know again polls high for people but there's very limited ability for the governor of a state to do anything about the economy mm -hmm. yeah but before we let you go dan um you mentioned the Safety Act, you know, and, and I, you know, I kind of pressed him after the the WGN debate a couple of weeks ago. I, I think you were there that, um, you know, what specifically does he support changing in in that law? And and there are Republican and Democrat states attorneys that, that are saying, you know, we just need clarification on what a judge can do, essentially, um, which isn't which I don't think is a stretch for someone to say so what what's his reticence to to step up and say i i support ending cash bail but i want a judge to have uh more clarity i want more clarity in the law as to what a judge can or can't do what's the what's the reticence in in saying that you know it's hard to say he has finally come around and said something pretty close to that uh, but it took you know, many different reporters weeks, asking months, yeah. the question, you know, over the course of, like you said, at least a couple of weeks to get him, um, get him pinned down on that. Um, I think, you know, cash bail was, a, ending cash bail was a priority for him um, coming into his second year in 2020 that got, you know, subsumed by the pandemic. I remember being at an event in January of 2020 where he was laying out his criminal justice reform agenda and that was like the top item. So it's an issue near and dear to him. And I think, he just doesn't want to um, to use a horrible metaphor, throw the baby out with the bathwater, um, because of you know this political backlash. Uh, and finally, um, the president, the presidential thing. I mean, obviously, the governor is still the favorite to win next week. Um, 
it's I, I think it's safe to say it's looking less and less like Joe Biden's going to be a candidate in 2024. Uh, the governor's chief of staff is a a high level Democratic operative nationally. Um, how serious should we be taking the uh, possibility of the governor running for president in 2024? I think if uh, Biden is running, there's no chance. He's, um, you know, talked to several people about this and somebody pointed out, you know, um, when he first ran for Congress in 1998, he didn't uh, do what Edwin Eisendraft did and, and try to primary Sidney Yates. He waited till Sidney Yates was re retiring to try and run for the seat. Um, I think that if Biden doesn't run, there's a, you know, a fairly decent chance we'll see somebody like Pritzker who has the resources. And, um, David Axelrod pointed this out when I talked to him. He can make himself known in many places that he isn't already very quickly because he has billions of dollars to spend running national TV commercials if he wants to get into a Democratic presidential primary, which is why his carefully crafted answer has left himself room to, little to bit of wiggle room. do that if Biden decides not to run. Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. Dan, thanks so much for the time. Uh, good luck over the next six days, and uh, hopefully we can all get a nap afterward. <laughs> thanks for having me. Thanks, Dan. All right, that was Dan Petrella from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, thanks for his time. Thanks to Kathy Salvi for joining us. Uh, we appreciate uh, the conversations with them. Uh, I am uh, not going to stick around long this afternoon. Just a couple of quick uh, hits for you. There's a story out this afternoon. Um, a Chicago man has been charged with allegedly sending Republican gubernatorial candidate Darren Bailey a voicemail threatening to mutilate and kill him. 21-year-old Scott Lennox of Chicago was charged with one felony count each of threatening a public official, telephone harassment, and harassment by electronic communications, according to the Cook County State's Attorney's Office. According to the police report, Lennox left Bailey a voicemail at 10.27 p.m. October 28th, in which he threatened to mutilate and kill him. State police learned Lennox used his cell phone to make the threats against Bailey. Uh, police said Lennox admitted making the threats. Uh, he was arrested Monday night at his home in Chicago. And he is scheduled for a bond hearing in Cook County uh, later on today. Uh, both the governor and uh, the House Speaker have come out and uh, and condemned the uh, the the actions and the threats made against uh, Senator Bailey. And and you know I'm 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 filling in on a, a radio show in in Springfield this week in on WMAY, and I talked yesterday about the uh, attack on Paul Pelosi. And and uh, you know the speaker's husband uh, with the uh, attacker reportedly um, you know shouting where's Nancy uh, you know in an effort to to hurt or kill her uh, you know we obviously saw January sixth and and people who wanted to hang Mike Pence and and there was obviously the 2017 uh, congressional baseball game shooting uh, where where a uh, a man shot at, uh, at congressional Republicans, almost killed Steve Scalise, shot at Rodney Davis, one of our, our members of Congress. Um, it, it, and, and it's just a it's a reminder that we all need to tone down the rhetoric a little bit. Uh, this there there is no politician, Republican or Democrat, no matter how much you, you like or dislike them, that that deserves threats or actions of violence. Uh, and it, 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 it isn't party specific. Clearly both parties are, are 
are ramping up rhetoric are ramping up anger and and it's it's kind of up to us those those of us that are engaged and paying attention to to tone down the rhetoric to to remember that that these people even though you you support or oppose them in an election uh, are still humans and uh, and we can all do a little better well this is our uh, this is likely our last uh, visit before election day so obviously uh, please go vote do your homework uh, make sure you uh, uh, know what you're you're doing when you walk into the the polling place, whether you vote early, vote by mail, or vote on election day. Uh, and uh, we will uh, hopefully be back next Wednesday, uh, the day after the election. If I've actually slept uh, at any point uh, since then, uh, I'll be on WGN TV Tuesday night. Uh, we'll have a, a big newsletter Wednesday morning for everyone, uh, and uh, we'll be back here uh, at noon next Wednesday. So. Thanks so much for for joining us. We we really appreciate your your time, your support, and and, and for taking the time to watch or listen. And uh, we'll we'll talk to you again soon. Have a great day.